On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we're going to chat about an unbelievable amount of theft going on from LCBO stores and why nothing seems to be being done about it. People are literally packing up bags and just walking out the door unencumbered, unstopped. Why is this happening? Millions, not billions, millions of dollars of product being stolen. We're going to be chatting about Hamilton City Council going in camera for a great cup bid. Why is that? This should be something public, right? And do the Maple Leafs actually have a shot at doing anything in the playoffs or are they, because of the way the playoffs are set up, going to really make it difficult and kind of doom them to another season of an early spring? Rick Zamperin and I chat about that. All coming up on the podcast. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I am not often blown off my chair by stories that I read or things I hear because I just assume that sometimes crazy things happen in our world. I mean, that doesn't mean we're not ever caught off guard, but there are some stories on the other hand, including this one, that for whatever reason, I have just found this story fascinating and troubling and shocking all wrapped up in one uh, series of stories in the Toronto Star. They've been picked up elsewhere since over the last week or week and a half that says, that lays out with data and with research and everything else, millions of dollars of booze is being stolen annually from LCBO stores and nothing, it seems, nothing is being done to stop the thieves. Ontario Public Service employees, union workers at the stores are being told not to do anything to stop the shoplifting. Don't stop the thieves. Don't get in their way. Don't confront them. And if you do... Well, rather than saying, hey, thanks for trying to help. No, no. If you are an OPSU worker and you do decide to do this, they can face discipline for getting involved. And then on Monday, so I've been reading this, and then on Monday, a tweet goes out that I saw that was taken by someone in a liquor store, in an LCBO store, showing a guy with a basket jammed full of bottles of single malt scotch that he had just put into the basket and walked right out the door while everybody in the store watched him, including the staff, and nobody did anything. I'm telling you, the world has gone nuts. Let me introduce my guest. Stephen O'Keefe is a retail security consultant who runs a online site called Bottom Line Matters. It's a web-based loss prevention and risk management solutions company. He joins us now. Stephen, thanks for doing this today. Hey, Scott, thank you. Uh, I have so many questions about what is going on here. I don't even really know where to start. Uh, so let me just go with that. What the heck is going on? Uh, yeah, well, that's complicated, but a good place to start. <laughs> um, where is the store security? Well, like, why are they doing nothing? Yeah, well, no, I, I can't speak uh, directly for LCBO. They're not my client. Um, but I can give you a general idea Please. of why they may have taken a decision uh, like they've taken, because it's not unlike a lot of retailers. Um, so let's just separate two groups. There, there's the, the employees that you're referring to who have concerns about not being able to step in and do something when they see a shoplifter. And then there is the loss prevention or resources protection or asset protection staff um, who are trained, uh, licensed, and certified to make arrests. What we're referring to in terms of the LCBO is regular employees. And it's not unlike any other retailer where the retailer does not ask an employee to step in and stop a shoplifter. 
when you see shoplifters arrested, and there's about 100,000 per year in Canada, uh, right across uh, the country and in all retailers, uh, those are the ones that are arrested for shoplifting. They are typically arrested by in-house loss prevention or security guards that are contracted out as a third-party service provider. So they've brought so, in security specifically to do that job because they don't want their staff to have to doing it, be doing absolutely, it. Absolutely, because they don't ask their staff to do it because, uh, I mean, my daughter works in retail and I wouldn't want her stopping a shoplifter. Fair enough. She's that's, not no, trained. That's a good point. Now, th- that, though, leads to the next part of this question, and that is, according to the Star Report, in the, since 2014, there have been 9,000 documented cases of shoplifting at LCBO stores just in Toronto and many of these people are saying who work there say many of our cases we're not even reporting them we don't even have time to report them so if they know that this is going on and I understand your point that you want to have specialized security people if they know this is going on why is not more security being brought in to do this Uh, I don't have an answer to the question for LCBO but I can tell you that that 9,000 that you're talking about let me just Put this into context so that uh, people understand the magnitude of this problem because it is a problem. Um, shoplifting uh, is a major part of shrinkage. And shrinkage is the, the, the term that's typically used to talk about your losses that are attributed to shoplifting and, and then some employee theft and some administrative errors. It's a $5.1 billion problem per year for retailers, which in turn is a 5.1 billion-dollar underground economy. So LCBO, while they might be reporting uh, a lot of numbers, they're not unlike other retailers. Let's just put this into context in terms of um, the shrink, the average amount of an arrest, the unknown part that's attributed to customers. We're talking in all of retail, and retailers, uh, there's about about 100 and. 62,000 storefronts in Canada. Those are mom-and-pop operations, and they go right up to the the major chains that have presence of 1,000 storefronts. Um, It comes out to about 13 million incidents of theft that are unreported. Well, the people find out quickly, even before these stories. People have learned that if I just go to the LCBO, no one's going to stop me, right? The, the word of mouth gets around and people know they can do this because nothing's being done to stop them. Well, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a myth. Um, so as I was saying before the break, there's, there's two groups that um, uh, LCBO and any retailer have. There's the group of employees who, you're right, they have been asked not to intervene for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, in any retail environment, it's... Uh, uh, you, you know, it, it takes a certain skill to actually arrest a shoplifter, and we wouldn't want, as an industry, to put uh, employees who are not trained uh, to, uh, you know, to, to be in a position where they're doing that. And then, uh, second of all, the nature of uh, the commodity itself, um, you're not necessarily talking about people who are stealing at a discount retailer in order to resell, in order to buy boots. You're talking about people who are stealing the booze in some cases because they need it. Um, then there's the second group, and that's the people who are hired to arrest shoplifters. And whether they are uh, patrolling stores on a random basis uh, or whether they are blitzing certain environments, they do have the power to arrest, and they do arrest. Um, so let's not, uh, let's not just assume that 
nobody is being arrested at LCBO. Okay. They are. They're just being arrested by a, 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 a select group. And it's the employees who are frustrated that they cannot intervene. And for safety reasons, uh, like any good retailer, they're asked not to intervene because they're not trained. And that, and you know, and your point is, your point makes a lot of sense. You don't want a 21-year-old person who doesn't have any training to be doing this. The flip side, and again, reading into these these stories, which is where it gets really unbelievable. Obviously, somebody is figuring out that they can get away with it because there are reports here that people are walking right into the employee storage areas and grabbing the good stuff behind the scenes and just walking out and no one is able to stop them. Somehow, people who are prone to doing this are learning that they can get away with it. Yeah, so um, whether those are professional thieves or people who are taking a chance and uh, thinking that there is an opportunity where they will not get caught, uh, I'm not sure who that group is. Mm. But um, but there is a select group of individuals right across the country who are trained um, to shoplift. They're professional shoplifters. They're part of organized crime. And they do steal the multiple bottles of the exact same uh single malt scotch, if you will, because they use it for uh, resale in order to fund other uh, types of crimes. Um, so, it, you know, there is a regular everyday person who believes that the, the risk is not great enough and the reward's pretty good because I can get away with a bottle of single malt scotch. They're taking their chance that that loss prevention person that is patrolling the stores on a random basis is not in that particular store that day. So if you look at the court records, LCBO does prosecute shoplifters. They are just calling a lot more that you hear about, and employees are seeing it because people are doing it openly. So but is there that risk? They're going to get caught. Is there any way that we only have a minute left, and I know you got to yeah. run? But is is there any realistic way short of hiring an army of those loss prevention officers? Is there any other way to stop this? Uh, listen, prevention uh, from customer service has always been the cheapest, most affordable, and most effective way to stop shoplifting because the majority of people who would consider it only because they have that perfect opportunity where they won't get caught, they will be dissuaded by aggressive hospitality, by somebody greeting them on the way in and making eye contact with them. Now, I know that the the cases that you're hearing about from the employees is people who you know, as they're leaving, they actually slip off the, the cashier and, and, and they leave. Um, th- those are the one in 10 who are uh, inherently dishonest. There's one in 10 who are inherently honest. And eight out of 10 of us in Canada will rationalize dishonest behavior if we have that perfect opportunity where we don't believe we will be caught. That doesn't mean we're all thieves, but it means that possibly 80% of the population speeds on the 401 because they don't see that cop car. Mm. As soon as they see the police, they slow down. And it's what happens with 80% of the population. So uh, that's where I say customer service. That's going to send that message to people that says, I'm watching you. And, uh, you know, people aren't going to be upset because if you're a non-shopper and an employee says, can I help you with something, that's customer service. That's what you expect from Canadian retailers. Stephen O'Keefe of Bottom Line Matters. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, You know, his point is well taken that you don't want the staff to be doing this. I will say this, though. This, to me, seems like 
this would not be happening if the LCBO was a private industry. A private industry. If this was someone, if the operator of this had skin in the game and this was their money walking out the door, I would bet you money that they would be having more security, more police, doing whatever they can. The fact that the people who are running this, well, you know what? We'll just charge more for the honest people who are going to come and buy the booze. We'll just put the prices up and factor that into the losses. If this was private industry, this would not happen like this. Just saying. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, we talk, yesterday here on the show, we talked about the Great Cup bid that was being launched by the Ticats with the city of Hamilton involved. Well, during the council discussion, much of the discussion, maybe most, I'm not sure. We'll let my next guest tell me whether it was most. I think it was. Uh, most of that, much of that deliberation went in camera, meaning the public couldn't see what was going on or know what the city would be potentially spending on such a bid. And when I was following this, and I was doing my best because they were going long into the night yesterday, I'm not sure I understood what was so secretive and why this had to happen, why a bid for a public event had to be behind closed doors. And I know my next guest actually shared that sentiment. He was rather vocal about it yesterday in council. He is Ward 9 Councillor Brad Clark. Uh, Sir, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure, Scott. You, as I say, vocally, vigorously disagreed with this going behind closed doors. Why? Bottom line, the taxpayers have a right to know what we're spending. Uh, This is, is, is not a municipal bid. It is a bid for the Tiger Cats, so the actual bid document should remain confidential, but the amount of money that the City of Hamilton is willing to spend for in-kind contributions, in my opinion, should be made public. And that was the next question was, so what is secret about this? I, I, I still, and I think you're in the position, I still don't get what's secret about this. Yeah, I'm still scratching my head, and, and, and I'm not naive about about games bidding and and special events bidding i've i've had a, a fair bit of experience in my my public life dealing with these issues so I, I i remember the world cycling championship bid and and the province the feds and the municipalities the total amount that was going to be be um, um paid out for that game they were made public the actual bid package was confidential and my argument was and i think it's a valid argument is that it's not the amount of money that we want that we spend on the game or the sporting event that wins the 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 bid what wins the bid is the comprehensive nature of the bid package so it's what's in the bid package uh that wins the bid and i agree that should remain confidential until the the, the final decision is made but the amount of money that we're going to put forward as a municipality for in-kind contributions or grants, in my humble opinion, that deserves to be made public, and it does not impact the bid. Well, if I heard correctly, and it was a long meeting yesterday, and I was doing other things as well, I was sort of jumping in and out, but if I heard correctly at one point, the question was raised whether how much the city of Hamilton would spend or give in-kind, if that was to be made public, other cities might trump that or increase that amount and therefore they would win, which again seemed to me to be, well, if this was a pure auction to buy the rights to the Grey Cup, I could see that. It doesn't seem like that's the issue. That, that's correct. It, 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 the, the decision by the CFL is not going to be made by the, uh, it, the amount of money that the city of Hamilton is putting forward in contributions. 
the decision by the CFL, and they they talked about it. Um, the commissioner himself is the actual bid package. That's what's going to win the bid or lose the bid. Um, and then the other argument that staff had made was that um, the amount of our contribution to this event um, would prejudice future possible bids on future possible events because people would know what our upset limit is. Well, it's been my experience through the last 20, 25 years dealing with this stuff. Um, it, it gradually goes up automatically because of the cost of living and historically organizations, uh, like I, I worked with the Songwriters Association for a time, SOCAN and all of those, those songwriting award nights, Junos, People know well in advance what municipalities are willing to put into it. It's not that dollar value that wins the bid. It's the package. You just used a word, and I'm, I'm glad you did, because it's one of those words that I, I don't know that anyone actually knows outside of council what it means. What is the upset limit? What does that actually translate into? Uh, um, it is the cap on the maximum amount that the municipality is willing to spend on on a grant or on some type of an event. Does upset stand for something? Because there's a word upset. I don't think it means that. Does it stand? Is it a short form for something? Know, or maybe do we it know? means that if we exceed it, we get upset. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably very accurate. <laughs> I th- you, even if that's not the meaning, I think we've just redefined it and that we'll, fits we'll, probably we'll better. It, right? <laughs> we'll do that. Uh, chatting about the Grey Cup proposal, the bid, that, well, it's not really a bid yet, it's part of a bid that came before City Council yesterday, and 11-3, I believe, was the vote among the councillors who were in attendance to go at least for part of it in camera, and Brad, you mentioned just before the break that these numbers that the people are afraid that they're going to be found out, so if the Grey Cup bid gets this much, then the Junos want this much or whatever else. Well, Matthew Van Dongen from The Spectator tweeted yesterday that he found very quickly public reports showing the city gave the Canadian Country Music Awards 850000 as a, as a budget. Uh, the Junos got five hundred and fifty, and earlier Juno got two fifty, And yet we, I believe, won the rights to host all of those competitions, all of those events. I, I, so again, I'm, I'm having a difficulty seeing they're not all the same. It's not a blanket amount. It's not a standard fee. I'm having trouble seeing what the problem is. And, and the fact that those bids were won... Um, proves very clearly that it's it's the comprehensive nature of the bid. So it's the bid package. What are you actually offering? What kind of party is it going to be? Um, and, and, and from my experience, time and time again, and even in some international games, Commonwealth games that the, the province bid on and, and, and we lost, it wasn't the dollar value that, that cost us the, the, the bid. Uh, it was the difference between our bid package and, and another bid package. So I, I don't buy for a moment. I, I, I said the other day that I, I felt that that argument that it is going to prejudice future events is, is specious. It, 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 it's not backed up by fact. You, I understand, and everybody understands, it was in camera, there are laws and rules around this, you can't speak to what happened behind closed doors, even though you didn't agree with it going behind closed doors, so I get that. But can you say, if there was anything you heard in that closed door meeting, not from the Ticat side, from the city's position, that would have been some sort of amazing secret advantage that only the city could possibly know about, and then if that ever were to have come out, every other city would have said, holy cow, we never thought of that, that's going to win us the bid. 
Um, no, and, and I can, you know, I have not revealed anything that has happened in camera. I can tell you that out of camera, I raised the point that, you know, they're, they're, they're using uh, one component of the Municipal Act that talks about a trade secret. That's um, what I mean. So, yeah, and, and, and uh, I argued there is no such thing in, in this document, and I argued very clearly that uh, that particular section of the Act talks about it, the bid belonging to the city. This bid does not belong to the city. This, this bid is the Tiger Cats bid. We are simply a contributor of a portion of money, and I believe the taxpayers have a right to know exactly what we're willing to contribute to this bid. But was that not, and again, I was jumping in and out of the meeting, so I, I, I want to be sure I got this right. Was that not something that was raised, though, by some councillors about the Ticats bid? We don't want to give away anything that they're doing or, or take away their advantage. That seemed to me that it came up. Correct. 100% in open session, uh, councillors, the mayor, were concerned that in some way or another we were going to betray um, the confidential and comprehensive bid of the Tiger Cats, that we were somehow going to prejudice that bid. And, and I supported keeping the actual bid document and any information that was proprietary, third-party information about the Tiger Cats bid completely confidential. The part that I stressed very clearly was, was not deserving of any confidential treatment was, in my opinion, the, the amount of money that we were willing to spend. And I would argue that even if we, we released the amount of money that we were willing to spend 24 hours after the bid closed, that's still accountable to the public. Do, do all businesses in town get the same treatment? Because some people on Twitter today were saying, well, look at what the Ticats are getting. Would this be the same regardless if it was the Ticats or if it was anyone else? As far as not giving away, if it's their bid, so they get to keep their part of it secret? If, if we're talking about a special event. Yes, that's what I mean. Whoever the third party is, whether or not it's an international sporting event, uh, uh, a national sporting event of the type that we're talking about, or, or some other type of entertainment event, if it's a third party that is putting the event together, and they are now asking for a grant or in-kind contributions from the city, it is right and proper that their third-party comprehensive bid package um, remain confidential. It's, it, they own it. We do not own it. What is, in my opinion, incorrect is to keep our bid, uh, willingness to contribute money to the bid, whether or not it's cash or in-kind contributions, um, away from public eyes. Brad, we have 30 seconds. Is it a guarantee that at some point we will know what council did behind closed doors and what kind of money we have agreed to put into this for, as a city? At the present time, no, it is not. So even after this is done, it doesn't necessarily come out and say, oh, by the way, here's what we gave. Finance would, I mean, it would show up. You'd have to be a forensic accountant to find it in in the books of the city uh, at the end of the year. Brad Clark, Ward 9 Councillor, uh, appreciate you fighting for the openness. I'm hoping that over the next few years, there'll be more people jumping on board with you on this one. But uh, thank you for doing that and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Have a great night. That is Brad Clark. Look, I hope... I really hope others are going to follow along. I, I really think that these kind of things should be out in the open. And if it's a good, strong bid, then people aren't going to complain. They're going to say, hey, look, fantastic. Look at the money we're spending. Look what we could be bringing in. On board. Hiding just sends messages that something is 
needing to be kept secret. And I don't think that helps anybody. And I certainly don't think it helps as far as knowing where our tax dollars are going. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who uh, who works way too many hours here at the station. So I said, well, naturally, we want to bring him on for even more hours. Uh, that would be Rick Zamperin. Thanks for doing this tonight. Anytime. I, w- I was so excited that I just scarfed down my burger and cheesy chili fries, and now I'm set to go. As long as it wasn't another enchilada. You know, it wasn't enchiladas. It was much tastier than the enchiladas that I had, and much more visually appealing as well. Anyone who has no idea what we're talking about can go back on to 900CHML.com and go to my show page and find the podcast, and you will hear the long, detailed, probably way too <laughs> detailed, description of Rick's experience with a, 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 a mystery enchilada. I think that's the yeah. best way to describe it. I think, I think so, yeah. A lot of stuff I want to get to you uh, in the sports world very uh, over the next few minutes here. And starting with this, are, are you deeply upset, deeply hurt, deeply put out that we will not be seeing a World Cup of Hockey in 2020? Uh, no, I'm not upset at all, to be, to be frank. <clears throat> you know, I loved this tournament when it was the Canada Cup. Yes. And somehow, someway, somewhere, and I think uh, the initials are Gary Bettman, decided to say, hey, let's turn this into a World Cup of Hockey. Uh, you know, with the same format, same same teams involved, although now it's a World Cup. You know, it's a great tournament, uh, but, you know, we have the Olympics, and I think the Olympics is an even better tournament because it is for, you know, that heralded gold medal. It's not for a chintzy, uh, very um, uh, indescribable trophy that the World Cup of Hockey has developed. The giant crystal vase? Yeah. Uh, probably the worst <laughs> trophy in the history of sports. Oh, no, no, the second worst. Sorry to interrupt. The second, second worst. The worst one. Do you remember the one they gave to Tiger Woods a few years ago when he won the British Open, U.S. Open, and Canadian Open? And it was a copper-colored, looked like it had been made out of papier-mâché in someone's basement, and even he couldn't help laughing when he was in. we got to pull up a picture of this. It was it was like someone the day before said, oh man, we got to find a trophy for this triumvirate of winning, and somebody's kid in grade 6 class ripped this thing together. Uh, but yes, the World Cup of Hockey, second ugliest trophy on the planet, for sure. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, I'm, uh, again, I, I'm a fan of the tournament, I'm a fan of when you know, the best on the planet in a certain sport compete against the best from other nations to see who is the best. I mean, that's what sports is all about. So, yeah, the World Cup of Hockey is strong. The Canada Cup was great. Uh, but because we have the Olympics, and even though the NHL wasn't at the last Olympic Games, but will most likely be at the next Olympics, I think this World Cup has lost a little bit of its luster at times, uh, certainly over the last number of years. And mind you, when it's on uh, TV, we're all watching, we're all cheering for Canada, we're all enthralled that. Uh, you know, when, when Canada wins and, you know, disgruntled when they lose. But the fact of the matter is that I, I hold that a, a Olympic tournament in higher, in higher regard. I, a hundred percent with you I, somehow. And the Canada cup, we all know we have a history here in Hamilton yeah. of the Canada cup. The, some of the greatest hockey ever played was in that 1987 Canada cup. And somehow, and back then it clearly mattered to the players. I mean, they really cared about winning that tournament. I don't. I never got the same sense in the last World Cup. It almost because it's now it's money that's going to the alumni or to the players' association or whatever, and it looked like it was a kiss and giggle. Like nobody really cared who won. I think the last, <clears throat> the last one where 
the winning team really cared and the losing team was really disheveled was I think it was 96 when the U.S. beat Canada and you know Mike Richter stuck on his head he was just you know uh, unbelievable in that tournament and the United States won and I think that really uh, whether it vaulted American players to you know another level of uh, you know hockey status or or whatnot but I think that was the last kind of tournament that outside the Olympics And and maybe it was because you know Canada lost in that tournament too yeah, but outside the Olympics, the Olympics still matters. Guys will still kill themselves to win the Olympics, but you're yeah. absolutely right. The rest of it, um, yeah, and hockey, I'm sorry, hockey doesn't work if it's played without caring about who wins at this level. It that's, just, you, it, it that's can't. the All-Star game. Well, exactly, exactly. And the All-Star game is unwatchable dreck. And and that's what, you do, you don't want to create a tournament that essentially imitates the all-star game and you're watching saying, wait a second, why am I committing three hours of this evening to this game that even the players clearly look like they don't care about? Yeah, I think there's some players who care more than others. That, that's without a doubt the fact. But I think, you know, when Canada's playing, I don't know, Slovakia or Kazakhstan, if they're in the World Cup at one point, I think the care level is a little bit less. But when it's, you know, the Canada Russia's, Canada US, you know, Sweden versus Finland, I think those players at those particular times in those games, you know, care whether they win or lose. Other than that, yeah, I don't think they were they really really care. Yeah, I anyway, I just it to me it's um to me it is one of those things that if you don't have hockey, if if you don't get the buy-in that and I don't want guys injured, but if you don't have the buy-in where guys are willing to get injured to win, then it just it doesn't doesn't work on the international stage. It just doesn't to me, and I just didn't see that. The only the group that really cared last time it seemed was what do they call the young guns? Yes, uh, and they had something to prove though. They had something to prove, and and now the guys who were who are the stars in this league, they all were actually in the young guns. Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and the rest. All those guys now are gone. I think the young guns now, if you have that tournament again, they get killed. Wouldn't they still be the young guns, though? I mean, McDavid's not over 23, and neither is Matthews. You know, Marner would probably be on the team. Braden Point would be there. This young guns team would still be a force to be reckoned with and may even beat, you know, those other teams. Except for the rule that was stated at the time was you play on it once, and then you get to go play with your national team. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you were to actually have an under-23 team, it, it would probably win the whole tournament. But you're not going to because Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, they want to play for their national team. And so, um, anyway, there, there's, yeah, I, I have no sadness that we're not having a World Cup. I, as long as, and it's not even as long as, I really hope the NHL gets its act together and gets back into the Olympics because that is where some of the greatest hockey is played. Uh, I agree. And a quick note to Will behind the glass. I'm getting a bit of feedback on the call. Okay. Do something great. If not, I can go through it. Well, we will uh, we will work through it. Do you want us to give you a call right back? No. Okay. okay. All right. Well, see, this is this is why Rick Zamperin is an expert and a professional in this field. Now I can, now I can really I could play with you a lot, and I could start creating more. I could just talk funny to make it even worse, but <laughs> just to really test you. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs play tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay is the best team in the league. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Toronto has had a very hard time beating Tampa. Toronto has had a very hard time beating Boston, and the way the NHL playoffs are set up right now, those are the two teams that almost certainly Toronto would have to go through in the first two rounds 
of the playoffs to get anywhere. Is Toronto essentially, because of the way things are set up, is Toronto basically doomed? Well, I mentioned this in my blog today. I think the way this roster is built, it is built for regular season success because you get to play some of the lower lights of the National Hockey League. You know, you're beating up on the Ottawa's, you know, Phoenix. Uh, you know, teams are at the bottom of the standings, and you can accumulate a lot of points. Now, that's not to say that Toronto has not beaten good teams, because they have. But come playoff time, it's a different level of hockey. And this team comprised right now, you know, apart from guys like Tavares and Marlowe and probably Hainsey in there, you know, these guys don't have a whole lot of playoff experience. For many of them, it's a couple of rounds. And both of those rounds are two first-round playoff exits in back-to-back seasons. So I think this team has to add some playoff savviness, a little more sandpaper, a little more physicality, especially in the back end, uh, to be successful, to get through teams like Boston and Tampa Bay. It's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, Toronto's skilled. They have all the skill in the world. If Frederick Anderson is playing this his game, no, yeah, they can beat these teams. But there are a lot of red flags for this team that general manager Kyle Dubas must be analyzing to say, hey, we need this, this, and this, or else it's going to be another one and done for this team. I just, uh, I don't want to be a, a, a negative. I mean, I, in my lifetime, Rick, I want to see the Leafs win a Stanley Cup just for the experience of it. And I have not been alive to see the Leafs win a Stanley Cup. I was born after their last win. And I have not been on this planet for a Leafs Stanley Cup championship. I think living in this area, it would be really fun to see that happen. But my goodness, the way the playoffs have been set up and the way the NHL has set these things now, right when the Leafs managed to get their best team in 20 or 30 years, it seems as though the stars are aligning to make it almost impossible for them to get through. It really does. I, I just, even if they find a way to get past Boston and I, my confidence level, having watched them play against Boston enough times now is low. Even if they figure that out, how in the world they beat Tampa four to seven games? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, at this point, how in the world does any team beat Tampa four out of seven times? They're they're just a machine this season. But, I mean, they were one of the top seeds last year, and they didn't win the Stanley Cup. So things could happen. Going into the playoffs last year, who would have thought that the Capitals of all teams would have went to the Stanley Cup? None of us, even before the season, thought Vegas would be there. So it can happen. But the way the NHL Stanley Cup playoff format is set up now is, you have to get out of your division. It's almost like the old you know, Norris division and Patrick division and Smythe division. You had to get out of your division before you even got to the conference final. And it's a little harder than playing some of the other teams in another division. Uh, you know, if the playoffs ended today in a one through eight kind of format of the Eastern Conference, I don't know who Toronto would play, but it would not be a team like the Boston Bruins, who are much more playoff savvy. They have Stanley Cups on their roster. Uh, they have proven that they can beat Toronto in a playoff scenario. It would be a much easier path for the Leafs if they went through that not traditional conference kind of playoff format, but what we've seen, uh, you know, probably ten or fifteen years ago when it was, you know, one through eight. Uh, you're saying if it was, yeah, if it was not the way it is right now, but if it was just straight up, uh, I'll tell you who it would be. I'm just calling it up here, and of course, as I'm doing this, the computer has decided to go exceptionally <laughs> slowly. Uh, if the be like Columbus, if the playoffs were to start today and they were do it the old and they were to do it the old one versus eight, two versus seven way, Tampa would open against Pittsburgh, Columbus would open against the Islanders, Washington would open against Montreal, Toronto would open against. Boston. 
<laughs> so they can't get away from it no matter what they do. And I bet you, and I look at this, I bet you, and I'll just do this, I've always subscribed, even before this, my favorite playoff setup in anything is one versus 16, two versus 15. Who cares about conferences? Let's have the best team get the best advantage and the worst team have the hardest way to go through. If that was the case, Toronto in their first round playoff series would have Washington. And if they won, and if they won that, they probably would get Boston next. (laughs) So in your, in your one through 16. Sorry, no, they would get Tampa next. Pardon me. They would get Tampa next. So in your 1 through 16 scenario, would you reseed or would you set the bracket at 1 through 16 and then there's the bracket? Well, that's a good that's a good question because you could if it was a if it was a reseed, that's why they would get Tampa second if it was. So in the first round, by the way, if we did 1 versus 16, which I believe still I don't I don't care about conferences. I I I really don't. And so I think this is the best way they should do it. That would be first round would be Tampa versus Colorado, Calgary versus Dallas. San Jose, Buffalo, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, that'd be a good series, Nashville Islanders, Vegas, Montreal, Boston, Columbus, and Washington, Toronto, and then you figure it out from there. Rick, the idea that the NHL has put in place here is they are saying, we want to create these rivalries. We want the teams to play the same team in the playoffs over and over and over again. Are you... It's almost certain that if things go the way they are that as I say Toronto would play Boston but also the Capitals would play the Penguins again in the playoffs for what the 27th straight season like does that excite you at this point are you still excited to see Ovechkin versus Crosby are you saying I'd love to see something else on one hand I'd like to see something else but on the other hand I'd like to see those rivalry games I mean when you think of Montreal Boston you think of the Lafleur Canadians versus, you know, Don Cherry's Boston Bruins. You think of those heated rivalries, those epic matchups, uh, you know, back in the Leafs' heydays, it was Leafs and Canadians or uh, Leafs versus Red Wings. Uh, we had so many uh, Oilers-Flames matchups back in the 80s that were just unbelievable. You know, those kind of rivalries, because you have those heated matchups, because they play so much during the regular season, they kind of transfer over into playoff time. And maybe if they did that one through 16, we'd see a lot of that as well. Because come playoff time, you instantly have a hate on for your opponent. Mm-hmm. So it would be interesting to see. But I think those division kind of alignments just add to the, the heatedness of, of those playoff series. The, those rivalries, though, and you're right, they, were, they, they really hated each other. Boston, Montreal, all the rest. But there was a part of that, and I'm not lobbying for a return to the days of bench-clearing brawls, but there was there was more than just the rivalry of wanting to win. I mean, they hated each other. And you think of the Montreal-Quebec series. Yeah. You know, if they were playing today and there was no fighting, and again, people are going to be listening saying, I don't like fighting in hockey. That's fine. All I'm saying is when you had those series and there was physical, physical, physical play, that added to the rivalry. Colorado versus Detroit for a number of years, though. There, Toronto versus Philadelphia for a number of years. You you take that out, and I don't think the rivalry is as heated. You still want to win, but it was different then. I agree. It was much more of a of a blood sport. Really, you had bench clearing brawls. You had uh, you know fights between goalies. The officials would get involved. Uh, I'm reading a book about uh, the 92-93 Leafs in which, you know, Pat Burns is going after Barry Melrose behind the Yes, I remember that. Yeah, was going after Doug Gilmore. So, 
uh, yeah, th- those kind of uh, instances, those kind of uh, uh, years gone by kind of scenarios in which teams really hated each other because you know that was how they played the game. Uh, we've lost a little bit of that, but uh, I think come playoff time, the intensity is still here. Obviously, they're not going to be fighting. There's a lot less fighting in the game now. I think once that Stanley Cup is on the line, I think teams kind of elevate their, as I said, their intensity, their playoff performance, and they just want to win it all. If you ain't bleeding, you ain't trying. <laughs> That's right. Uh, just one last thing as I let you go. You know what doesn't matter regardless of what the playoff situation is? What's that? Edmonton's spot. <laughs> <laughs> Edmonton, yeah, irrelevant. Edmonton, Ottawa, all irrelevant. And shockingly, you know what is probably the most shocking thing to me in the whole NHL this year? Chicago is second last in the league. It well, just seems that impossible that Chicago could be there. Their best before dates long past. Yep. Well, they have, you know, Kane and Taves. And, you know, they have a few good other players as well, Seabrook and Keith. But they're all, uh, you know, not in their, well, Kane's still in his prime. But uh, you got a lot of pieces that they have lost since their Stanley Cup days because they got so expensive. And the Leafs are going to be there in a couple of years. Uh, 20, 31st overall in the league, the Los Angeles Kings. They won a couple of cups in the last number of years. Yeah. Number 30 in the NHL, Chicago, they won three cups. Ottawa, number 29, well, they're just horrible. Uh, Philadelphia, 28, Florida, 27. And Detroit, that was in the playoffs for, what, 25 straight years? They are 26. The, the, as the league turns, obviously, you're, you have a best before date, as you say, and you better win in that time because, um, well... Otherwise, you know where you're going. Well, as a Leafs fan, if I could get one Stanley Cup, just maybe even a final appearance, which has never happened in my lifetime, mm. I will certainly take it. Ah, uh, yep, that would be true. That would be true. You know, as I say, a lot of people, myself included, have never been alive for a Leaf Stanley Cup, which is just staggering. It is just staggering to think that one of the historic franchises, as you say, hasn't even been to the finals in 51 seasons. That's, that, is, that is incompetence of an epic level that is now seemingly being corrected. Whether it's fully corrected ever, we don't know. But my goodness, 51 years in a team like that with all the resources up until recently when the salary cap came in. I just It's staggering. It really is staggering. We'll Somewhere, see. Somewhere, Harold Ballard has a mischievous smile on his face. Well, yeah, because he's still counting his money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rick Zamperin, you can hear him on CHML all day, every day, including on the weekends. You've got, how many shows you got coming up this weekend? Uh, 45. Oh, something like that. No, but he is. He will be here live on the weekend. The snow will be flying. Snowpalooza will be in full effect. And Rick will be taking your calls here on CHML. Uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes for me tonight. Anytime. That is Rick Zamperin. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.